So I'm speaking with composer uh, Stephen Price, who has been working in the film industry for uh, quite some time as a music programmer and editor. And, you know, Stephen has worked on films like Lord of the Rings, Return of the King, and Batman Begins. He composed additional music for Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, which led him to be the composer for Edgar Wright's The World's End. Uh, Stephen is now behind the score to the box office hit Gravity from Alfonso Cuaron. His score was an essential part in the crafting of the science fiction thriller soundscape and structure and was supremely effective at engaging the audience emotionally. Thanks, Stephen, uh, so much for talking today. Hello, how are you doing? Um, so since the first time uh, we're talking, I would love to know, uh, why did you decide to pursue music and, and what led to working in films and as a composer? Oh, I mean, the first part of the question, it's, it's kind of the only thing I've ever really done. Um, I, I, kind of, I was lucky when I was growing up and that there were, there were instruments lying around the house, like there was a, a little plastic toy guitar thing and there was a little keyboard, and I used to just doodle around and, and you know, listen to records and sort of try and work out tunes and that sort of stuff that was playing on, on the radio. And, I'd, and that was kind of noticed by my mum my and dad, so they kind of suggested, oh, do you want to try a guitar lesson? You know, and I was about five when I started doing that kind of thing. And just loved it, and and didn't really stop, and it just became the thing that Steve did. Um, <laughs> so I kind of went through all all my youth and all my my sort of college years and all that, just playing instruments, studying music. Ended up going and doing music degree, that sort of thing, um, and then kind of you know trying to work out how to get into the industry. And at first, I thought um, that the record industry was going to be the one for me. I always I always really fancied doing record production. I thought that was you know sort of arrangements, that kind of thing, and perhaps you know, songwriting, that sort of, that side of the, the whole industry. And I started off in, in recording studios. I, I worked in a, a studio run by a guy called uh, Andy Gill, who was a Gang of Four guitarist band over here. Um, and that was kind of my first job. And I, I did that for a while, working with him. And, and it was great, because he, he taught me loads about, you know, how the studio works and how, you know, engineering kind of works. You know, just to, to, to work out the computers were just coming in then as well, sort of recording into computers and, and manipulating sound. So I kind of got a start then. Um, but kind of was getting getting a bit sort of concerned about the fact that you know most bands we were working with weren't all that, and um, you know wanted to try something different. Didn't quite feel it was for me, and then then got really lucky with um, an advert in the back of a magazine for a film composer who was looking for an assistant. Wow! And um, I got a job with Trevor Jones. Oh wow! At the back of the advert, and um, literally within within a day or two of starting there, I was kind of left on my own to work out how the equipment worked, and. Um, started fiddling around with sort of moving notes around to the picture and, and something just went sort of lit up in me really I kind of realized that was that was for me and I, I just became obsessed with with the relationship of music and and picture and stories and all that and and that was kind of about 2000 1999 2000 wow, that's a, and um really cool. so it's been kind of quite a long haul really getting to, to where we are now but it's been been good laugh along the way <laughs> that's a really cool story um, so I absolutely loved Gravity. It was a it was a very quick, lean, thrilling experience that was, you know, executed masterfully from everyone behind and in front of the camera. How did you get involved with the project? How did you meet Alfonso? Uh, well, I kind of I I knew a few people who were were associated with the project, kind of in different capacities. You know, I kind of I I knew a couple of the assistant editors and that sort of thing. And when they got to the stage where they were looking to, to screen the film internally, you know, they do you know, test screenings and all that mm -hmm. sort of stuff, um, they, would, they needed to do some music. They hadn't got any music at this point. And the idea was, you know, oh, can you come in for a couple of weeks just to help out, you know, do some music stuff? So, I, you know, as far as I was concerned, this was a couple of weeks just to, to do whatever could be done. And I'd scored my first film by then. I'd done Attack the Block. 
Um, so I was kind of, you know, kind of hungry to get into that sort of thing more and, and drop the rest of the, the stuff that I'd done historically, the music editing or arrangements and all that, and just, just you know, really concentrate on what I originally wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, two weeks' work on an Alfonso Cuaron film, great, you know, yes, please. <laughs> Um, so I went in and, and then had the meeting and it was it, it was just great. We talked about, you know, the fact of the film sort of being set up in space. There's no sound in space. So what's music going to be? And he didn't want anything conventional. And basically we had this amazing couple of hour meeting and I came out of it thinking, well, I'm not quite sure what I'm doing now because I, this isn't this isn't really a kind of music editing job that I've not been asked to do anything else. And what, so I just kind of started making stuff and um, trying a few things and I... I very shyly played him the first batch, and he was like, "Oh, this, uh, this who did this?" Like, oh, it was me, <laughs> and and that kind of led to, to a bit of collaboration and a bit of throwing around ideas. And you know, the two weeks turned into six weeks, and then then after that, he he asked me to to compose the film. Oh wow, that's great! <laughs> yeah, it was a strange little little <laughs> period. So uh, when you guys sat down to like collaborate and really kind of get into the meat of the film. What were his? Uh, what were those kind of initial conversations with Alfonso like? What did he, you know, during the spotting session and everything? What did he want from you, musically, and what did you want to do with the whole picture of the score? I think the, the great thing about the brief, well, I suppose the great and daunting thing about the, the the brief at the start was that it was kind of, it was more things that we didn't want to do. Mm-hmm. You know, it was kind of he didn't want it to sound like like film music. He didn't want it to sound like a conventional action score. He didn't want to have any percussion or anything that that would. Would, that you'd normally do with action. There's so much action in the film, and, and he didn't want to didn't want to hear any of that stuff. And so it was kind of a, it was a lot of lists of, of these are things you can't do. So now go away and, and try and find out what what we could do for this film. And so it was kind of a, it was a big blank canvas at first, and um, it was literally a case of just going to the studio and and trying things. And I you know spent a long time sort of scratching my head and staring. Then I try a few things and perhaps you know out out of ten things I I tried melodic things. Perhaps perhaps one would have something going for it and I'd take that in and we'd discuss it and it was just that went on and on and we we basically had a lot of to and fro for the best part of a year which is quite a long time in, in kind of film school land absolutely any one thing um, but it kind of took that long to, to try all the options and and throw things out where it was appropriate and you know try, just just experiment really it was a real it was an amazing thing to, to be able to do you know it's, it's you know, there, there were there were a lot of deadlines throughout because we were always heading to, to different screenings. There were a lot of tests along the way where you felt you needed to, you know, jump through hoops because obviously it was a risk for for everyone taking on sort of someone relatively untried like me. Mm-hmm. Um, so you kind of kept going through screenings, and you know, you'd be, be very nervous for those moments. But you, each each one, you kind of you got through, and then on to the next challenge. You know. And uh, was the when you started working on it was the picture locked already or did because there's a lot of like long duration takes and the editing is such a big part of it as well or did was a was it still open to changes and everything and you had to kind of work with the the editorial flow? Yeah, yeah, and it kind of it, it did keep changing right to the last really, and it sort of even on the last night of the the mix there were there were a couple of um, picture changes um, just to, to to make me nervous. <laughs> um, but it was it was yeah constant to and fro, but you know it was. The, the the crew on Gravity they'd all been been on it for so long and they were also involved and entwined in the project and I think the editor did sort of the best part of three years on the film wow. you know so so everyone kind of knew it backwards and everyone was very sort of excited by it and we all just kind of we were all on the phone and you know thought we, it, it, to the extent that you know if, if a picture change is going to be made towards the end I might be able to say if you gave me another three frames there it would be brilliant you know <laughs> it would really save my day so it was it was there were picture changes but the shape of the film was, was there pretty early. You could kind of tell 
the feel of it from when I started, you know, those incredible long takes and the way the camera was moving sort of virtually and you felt like you're up in space. So that, that you know, was there to influence the, the writing of the score from the word go, really. And, uh, oh yeah, the cinematography is, I think, Emmanuel Lubezki, he's, uh, he better get an Oscar or something. It was fantastic. Oh, I think it's just, it's just genius. I mean, I, I, there's, there's still, and I've, I've obviously seen it, you know, many, 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 many times, <laughs> yeah. but it still makes you gasp some of the, the shots they've got in there. And, you know, the, the, the way they've done it is so, so, you know, oh, I mean, there's various bits out in the press, but it's amazing, I think. And uh, the one thing I noticed, I mean, and you mentioned a bit earlier, that you know, quietness was a big part in the building of, you know, not just the quietness of this of the sound design, but kind of musically too. You have a lot of tones, and you tone it down to kind of create the tension and suspense, and kind of the the quietness and almost isolation of space. What was the challenge to know when to tone the score down? Did did Alfonso kind of guide you in that? Like, we don't want loud noises here. We want it to be quiet. We kind of sort of staggered our way through it. We we would try. We would we had various um, temp things during the the process where we'd kind of put the whole film together and mm-hmm. the, the sound would come in and we we kind of test a few ideas out there and there were there was a, there were a couple of times when we go oh this this actually this is a space we can afford to take a bit of a breath and step back here and you know often it was a case of stripping back because I'd written in a in a very kind of layered way because of the way that the music was going to be treated in surround you know everything was was very very densely layered and sort of complex in in the way it was constructed and so often you kind of realize that you know you where you had say 10 things playing if for that particular moment perhaps you can strip it down to two or three and all of a sudden sort of interesting things would emerge from that so it was kind of it was like this big experiment of, of what what's needed and where in the theater are you going to put it mm-hmm. and the quietness it, it it kind of the story did a lot of that but Sometimes the moments where we really emphasised the silence and really made the point of the isolation, they kind of developed as we went through it. And uh, I was also surprised at how um, kind of big the score kind of became towards the final act, it, kind of mirroring the emotional flow of Sandra Bullock's character and echoing this this theme of uh, which I kind of noticed as rebirth, which is pretty prevalent in it, and I yeah. picked up strongly. Uh, and these, you know, these characters we kind of jump into them right at the beginning. We kind of don't know who they are. So what were you kind of drawing on for emotionally for these characters? You know, we don't really know them. We kind of know them through the experience. But what was the, the thing about the characters that spoke to you the most as a storyteller? I, th- I think that it's it's a funny one because the, you do kind of get, you, you do feel you know them very quickly, you know, because mm-hmm. I think, you know, the the, 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 the simplicity of, of the, the setup is actually deceptive you know it they're they're the characters are incredibly fully formed as as soon as you meet them and and certainly with ryan's character because i I felt you know for the the music you were you were with ryan for the the vast majority of the film you kind of you're you're let into her world very gradually and and that allowed me to to thematically do that as well and you know we the the very first notes you hear from from lisa hannigan this the singer um is basically an ambient version of, of what will become the big theme at the end for, for Ryan. And we kind of start to develop that out through, through the film and when she first mentions the reason why she's up in space and, and the, the reason why she's kind of given up back down on Earth mm-hmm. early in the film, you kind of get another little glimpse of that. And it, it kind of, the, the way the film was structured, the way the character developed, allowed you to kind of just keep planting these things to hopefully make it all pay off at the end. So it's, um, I thought that the, um, yeah, that the way that, that we learned more about her and, the way that she kind of 
the way that she went through her journey through the film and, and kind of made the decision to to live basically meant that that the the, the end of the film could be you know celebratory and, and basically honor and celebrate the decision she'd made really and that's how it felt appropriate to to go where we did oh and it was per- i mean i i was kind of in tears and in you know chills oh good <laughs> all, like it was emotional i mean that the i mean a spoiler alert i mean i'm sure hope if anyone's listening and hasn't uh watched the film please don't continue listening but when she, you know they go through the she's coming back to earth and and descending back um it's it's a, an emotional experience and i think you brought the the viewers on on that journey as well it was really great well i hope so <laughs> no, it's been it's been fun sort of seeing I, I i watched the film with my wife for the first time last week um in a screening over here and um and yeah it's quite nice when people cry because that was you know I, I think the hope for all of us with this film was that it's it's an experience you know it's a real it's an emotional sort of thrill ride really and mm-hmm. and it's it's been nice when people have connected with that and and you know have gone on the journey really. And uh, I was just wondering if you could give any insight to the the track titles on the, on the last couple of tracks. I know we have, uh, you know, they're uniquely named. Uh, Aninkat Aninkak is one of them. And, yeah, Aningang, which I think is, is the, is the um, basically he's um, it's the the name of the the Eskimo character. When again, spoiler spoiler alert, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but when um, Ryan is is radioing back down to earth and she she has a conversation and she's going mayday mayday she actually the person that she she makes contact with is is a guy called Anningang who's um an eskimo and uh, there's actually a, a another scene which isn't in the film which was made separately for the i believe it on the dvd it's a short film made by Honas Karan right right um Alfonso's um son who wrote the film with him and the other side of that conversation basically was filmed and um, I did the, the score for that as well and that's a, it's a nice little um short and it's kind of it's, it's strangely emotional in a different way um but it's uh it's it shows what's happening the other end of that that call as, as ryan calls home so i'm looking forward to people seeing that was that originally was that always intended to be a bonus feature on the blu-ray or was that originally in the in the full film yeah that was all that was always going to be i mean the, the, I, I believe there was an interesting thing I, I read this week where alfonso was saying how you know, he'd had requests from the studio at those points to cut back to Earth, but that was always, it was never going to happen, I think, with, with yeah. the film. So, so that scene, Tanas definitely shot that with the, the Blu-ray in mind. And it's, it's, it kind of, it's, it, it does stand alone as its own thing, but it, it's, it's a shame they can't show it after the film. I think it'd be great to, you know, have a little surprise after right, the film. Right, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm, looking, I'm looking forward to that. I was reading about that. And then you also have, uh, the last couple of tracks are also, I think they're named after... Uh, Real-life spacecrafts, right? Soyuz, Tiangong, Shenzhou. Are these all? They're Chinese spacecrafts. Yeah, well, they're they're the crafts in in the film. So right, we kind right. of the, the, the with the the score. Um, I mean, these cues were obviously called sort of you know very different things when we were making it. But when we were putting the the soundtrack album together, it was kind of how can we best conceal what happens here? <laughs> so <laughs> we went for the the craft good. names to, to do that because it was otherwise there were massive spoilers on the <laughs> on the album. That's true. I was when I I look at I looked at a. Uh, the soundtrack for the sixth sense you know very recently and the last track is malcolm is dead and i'm like well you know. oh no really <laughs> yeah <laughs> I was like, oh that's that's a shame <laughs> i was like i was like wow i can't believe this didn't upset people at the time you know james newton howard come on get on that <laughs> yeah that's yeah that that must have been an afterthought somewhere along the line but yeah that's <laughs> that would be disappointing i would think with this one the score was coming it's sort of released online about two, three weeks before anyone had seen the film. Right, yeah. And, and really, happens. we were quite advanced in the soundtrack CD by then, so it was only a, 
oh, we shouldn't do that, should we, sort of moment. <laughs> well, the the whole film is breathtaking, and you, you're such a huge part of that. I mean, the film's emotional resonance is because of your score. But um, before we wrap up, I always like to ask composers this one question. If you could score any film ever made with no disrespect to the original composer or the score itself, which film would you choose? Oh, that's tricky. I mean, the thing is, a lot of the, the films I really love, a lot of the big reason I love them is because of the score. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I would hate to, I would hate to revisit something and, and make it slightly worse. <laughs> that would be that would be awful. I mean, I, the first films I remember, like, really being struck by the music were, like, the Back to the Future things, because I was a little too young for Star Wars. Uh-huh. Um, but so Back to the Future was, was bang on for me. I was kind of probably seven or eight when that came out and, and watched it for ages. And... I, I think they're great, but I would. I think it would be awful if I rescored it because it wouldn't be what it is now. Well, I mean, um, it's just what, what kind of. And, and so the only other option is to choose a, a film with a terrible score, isn't it? <laughs> really? And I wouldn't want to do that either. <laughs> but we'll go with Back to the Future and just hope that I kind of don't don't do too shabby a job. That's, and, that's um, a yeah, good answer. Good. Uh, I think. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's a good. That's a great answer. I love Back to the Future. Helen Silvestri is brilliant. <laughs> yeah, I think I think that's uh, they're they're great. Those films are sort of such fun. Things like they they show them on TV here all the time on some you know yeah. <laughs> cable channel and and it's those sort of things where you end up I'll see two minutes and then an hour later you're still kind of <laughs> well you know. Stephen thank you so much uh, for your time and and for chatting today it was uh, a great pleasure and honor to talk to you so thank you so much and congratulations on all the success that Gravity is getting and deserves thank you very much indeed thank you. <laughs>